Introduction. Hello, my name is Aaron and I am a recovering dispensationalist. <laughs> like many of you, my first introduction to Christianity was a version that heavily emphasized a pre-millennial understanding of end times. But after careful study of the New Testament, and to my great disappointment, I found no mention of Kirk Cameron anywhere, not even in the Greek. For many of our brothers and sisters, and they are brothers and sisters, who still hold this view, uh, they are left to search uh, through world news and events, trying to read the tea leaves of geopolitics and discern who the Antichrist is. Is it Vladimir Putin or perhaps Volodymyr Zelensky? Uh, that's too controversial, let's just settle, it's Xi Jinping. But uh, in generations past, it was Gorbachev or Khrushchev, Hitler, Mussolini or Stalin. Um, there, there's always this uh, propensity to try to discern who the Antichrist is, right? Um, our confession in chapter 24, paragraph 4, alludes to the seat of the papacy or the pope as that man of sin or the Antichrist. And unlike those other, uh, earlier examples, which are kind of silly, you know, they are um, not, not to hold to a different eschatology, but just the propensity to always think that you're in the midst of um, the worst time of history and you must figure out who this Antichrist is. Um, our confession puts it on the seat of the papacy, and unlike the earlier examples, there's a pretty strong case to be made that there is... Uh, Proper, ap proper application of the term Antichrist to any self-appointed office that declares that they are the vicar of Christ on earth. However, before we jump into our text today, we have to ask ourselves a question, and that is how the Apostle John wants us to understand the text. Right? You can sell a lot of books, you can get a big crowd, uh, talking about some of these sensational ideas about the end times. But is that what's going on? Is this what the apostle was under inspiration to tell us? Are, are we supposed to be using the inspired scriptures as a sort of decoder ring? Certainly not. Uh, theologians refer to the scriptures perspicuity. Perspicuity. A term that summarizes, and I quote, all of the scriptures teaching as clear enough for the simplest person to live by and deep enough for readers of the highest intellectual ability to ponder their entire life. The scriptures are clear in all essential matters. So I'm laying a foundation here before we jump in the text, and it's this, because it deals with the Antichrist and some other implications, some things that you may have been exposed to, heard, hold, but rather than wading into all of that. What is the point? What, what, is that where we're supposed to be going? If the scriptures are clear, if they're perspicuous, there should be a simple application of the text to the new believer or the, the seminary grad with their doctorate in theology, right? So that's the goal. Uh, so as we take up our passage today, the question should be, how do we apply this clear teaching to our lives? not who is the Antichrist. But at the same time, we have to understand that this epistle was written to a first century church. 
So any interpretation of the text that could not be applied to the church through history is an error. So does that make sense? Something else we're laying down here. We must have uh, an understanding of the text that would be uh, consistent with the church throughout history. So if we have this sort of understanding of the text, interpretation, that can only be applied to a certain generation at a certain time, then that would make the scriptures ineffective to all other generations. Now, there, there is one interpretation of the text. There is a myriad, uh, uh, an infinite amount of application. There's one interpretation. That's what we're going to be after today. Um, as a summary, the, the idea of thou shalt not steal, we can take that to, to apply the principle here that I'm talking about. That meant don't steal in the first century your neighbor's goat or his hut, or his rice, or his grain, right? His millstone. Today, it can mean don't pirate uh, um, movies and, and music off the internet, right? So different interpretations, but don't steal is what's going on there. And in a similar matter, my goal here today is to highlight in the text the, the, the one interpretation and then apply it to us today. That's the goal. So if you will stand with me, we're going to read 1 John uh, chapter 2. Please stand for the reading of God's word. And I'm, I'm going to read um, from verse 13, uh, 15, sorry, which is the last sermon, because they're connected, right? Uh, we're going to go right in to the deception of the last hour, and then uh, we will also read all the way down uh, to uh, verse 27. So here are the words of our Lord. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who was a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. And, and what you heard from the beginning abide in you. You also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us. Eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as he has taught you, you will abide in him. Amen. Almighty God, O Father, would you see fit, Lord? to open our hearts and our minds, open your word to us, send your spirit, Father, to lead us in the truth, the very truth we're reading about, the anointing power of your spirit to guide us 
In truth, we pray now, Father, that you would lead us in this. Magnify Christ, Father. Magnify your name. Pour out your spirit, we pray in the name of our King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So I hope I don't, uh, didn't disappoint you, but I will not be naming the Antichrist today. I have three points for you, and they will come out in succession as I work through the sermon. The first point is apostasy and Antichrist. Apostasy and Antichrist. Uh, John, writing to his little children in the faith, starts off with an uh, epoch reference, uh, time period. Familiar with that term, uh, epoch. Uh, the last hour refers to the time between advents. We're coming up to Christmas right now. You see the advent references, Christ entering the world. We live between his first coming and his second. Christ has already come and will one day physically return to judge the living and the dead. And the epic between uh, advents, John calls the last hour. Then John gives us the evidence by which he makes this pronouncement, that within the lifetime of the apostles, there were already antichrists that had come. So this is not some futurist event exclusively, although the spirit of antichrist and those who rise up to deny Christ will be with the church until the Lord judges the world this was not exclusively a future event. This was happening at the time that John was writing this. They believe somewhere around 90 A.D. Um, or, sorry, no. Prior to the fall of, of Israel in 70 A.D., he's about 90 years old when he's writing this. So how are we to understand that term Antichrist then? The ESV Study Bible gives a good definition. I quote, uh, broadly, an antichrist is anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ. More specifically, John understands such a person to be a human representative of the evil one of whom Jesus spoke. Persons doing the devil's bidding and not God's will. Uh, end quote. The text itself will develop this in my third so John himself does give us uh, a bit of a definition later on uh, towards the end here. But any person that denies Jesus as the Christ is serving the evil one. There's, there's no middle ground here. And, and to be clear, we're going we're gonna to deal with a lot of that black and white today. That's the way John writes. There's not a lot of gray area with John. And there's other books that have more nuance um, and that is all inspired of God. But today, in God's providence, we are taking up John's word. And so I want to speak and, and, and convey the truth the way that the Holy Spirit inspired John to, to lay them out. And it is a very black and white sort of scenario. You are serving the risen Christ or you are serving Satan. There is nowhere in between, uh, quote, good people, a good neighbor, Although they might not do it consciously or if they're not bowed the knee to Christ, they are serving the wicked one if they are denying that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, an example of that, principled, um, turn with me to Matthew uh, chapter 16. 
Matthew chapter 16. Here we see Jesus telling his disciples of his death and resurrection. And in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. This is Peter that confessed, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, right? He answered well. And here, his response, his motivation for the safety and health and well-being of Jesus is called by Christ Antichrist. It's called Satanic, right? Why did our Lord, who loved, who loves, who loved Peter, call him Satan? I hope when you come to passages like that, that, that it gets your attention. I hope that you... You see that. You say, well, what's going on there? Why, why such strong language? If, if we use that kind of language today, I think we would probably be rebuked for the, the, the strength of language in certain scenarios. Of course, we can't discern the hearts of our brothers and sisters as Christ could. But no doubt, there is a time and a place to use such strong language even in a friendly sort of scenario here, right? Uh, understanding this conversation helps us to see what John is talking about. Peter here was motivated by his affection for Christ, but his thinking was man-centered and earthly. Jesus had an agenda. He was about his Father's will and was marching towards drinking the cup of wrath appointed to him and anything... Contrary to that, by its definition, served the purposes of Satan and not God. You follow me? Anything contrary to Christ's explicit plan, by its definition, was satanic and not of God. Even if his, Peter's best motivation was there, right? So Christians must be cautious. Again, not calling Peter uh, antichrist there, but his understanding as Christ rebuked him to be man-centered and earthly, the thinking there. Christians must be cautious to not fall into this type of thinking. Like Uzzah, who touched the ark and was struck dead. We can have the best of intentions, the best of motivations. But if our understanding is not aligned with God's sovereign will, we are in error. And again, the way that John writes so starkly, black and white, you are in God's agenda, plan, or you are contrary. And the only option is that you are aligned with a satanic agenda. 
But I don't want to be misunderstood. We are discussing an application of John's writing. John's actual warning is against unregenerate people. So, so follow me there. We're, we're talking, I, I started with an application of that thinking, right? But John's warning is to the unregenerate people who are serving Satan, not Christians. They are antichrists. And notice in verse 19, chapter 2, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. That means that these antichrists are where? Where are they? They're in the church, right? They went out from us, but they were not of us. That means that these antichrists are in the church. That's the warning. That's, that's the only way it makes sense, right? That, that this is where we are to be vigilant and, and diligent uh, to be aware that anything that comes, any teaching, any person that calls into mind or questions the, the idea that Jesus is the Christ is serving a satanic agenda. They went out from us, but they were not of us. That means that these antichrists were in the church. Uh, that, that is where they spend their time. Now, before you get carried away and make our fellowship time after the service really interesting, he took the rest of the hummus, antichrist. John tells us how to identify them in verses 22 and 23. We will get there. However, right here in verse 19, he tells us their trajectory. Okay, He doesn't give us all of the information to identify him here yet. He is going to. But he tells us about their trajectory. They will leave the church and their unbelief will be manifested. John is not saying they will leave a church. Don't misunderstand it. They, uh, rather, they will leave the church. They will leave Jesus Christ and chase their own fallen affections. And that is why Peter, although faltering many times, was ultimately restored and after the resurrection persevered until his death. So when it says, when John says they go out from us because they were not of us, understand that's they go out from Christ. Not, not, a, not a local assembly, but they leave Christianity. Have you guys heard the term uh, exvangelical? It's grown in popularity in, in years past. These are the very people that John is warning us about. And it's not a new thing, although it may be a new term. It is not a new thing because John wrote this 2,000 years ago. All of those who are ex-evangelical, who've given themselves that name and taking that moniker upon themselves, are saying they were evangelical, but they have left the church. They have left Christ and they are ex-evangelicals. And they spend their life now trying to undermine and falter Christians in their faith. And I can tell you, I've listened to some of their accounts. And, and here's the thing. They say things that um, can be true in the sense that things were done to them sometimes that should not have been done. And that's true. And sometimes it was done by people that held church office. And that's wrong. But their conclusions is their conclusion is that Jesus is not the Christ. And that places them 
where John is writing here as Antichrist. They are part of a satanic plan to undermine the faith of others. Uh, my family used to watch uh, a YouTube channel uh, called Good Mythical Morning some years ago. I don't know if anybody is familiar with that. They were really popular some time ago. Rhett and Link grew up in the church, uh, worked for Campus Crusade for Christ. I think it's crew now. Um, we're part of uh, Phil Vischer's, uh, worked with him in VeggieTales and some other things. Um, nice guys, married, and in time, uh, one of them apostatized and decided to begin making videos about why he just doesn't believe Christianity is true anymore. And then uh, I get their names mixed up. One of them is Rhett and one of them is Link. They're, one of them is definitely the leader. A and the other one uh, was convinced. He, they went through the story of how he convinced his lifelong friend to abandon his faith. And in the process of this, he was saying, you know, he's... His whole world was turned upside down. He was crying. His wife was crying. His kids were crying because they felt like their friend had died. But they both eventually apostatized and renounced their faith. And that's the dangers here. Not that a true believer could ever be stumbled to, to leave Christ. But that there's a reality that this sort of uh, apostasy, this antichrist mentality that grows in the church, and then leaves and desires to falter um, those who maybe believe intellectually and are not born of God, but they're there and they're learning and they're being ministered to, or, or just those who are already looking for a reason to not believe, that the spirit of Antichrist causes them to, to falter or boasts them in their unbelief. And John is warning us about this. So again... We're not heresy hunters, right? We're not out trying to discern who the Antichrist is. We're not trying to discern uh, which person in the church is, has a spirit of Antichrist in it. Because uh, if that is your methodology, it might be you. But, <laughs> but there's a reality that when somebody calls into question, and that, that's the way Satan works, is it not? He came to Eve when he came, hath, hath God really said? He doesn't come out and say, don't believe him. Hath God really said? Undermining, calling into question. Um, anybody that is in a teaching position that comes in that spirit, hath God really said, calling into question the reality, the nature of, of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, born of a virgin, sinless life on the cross, died, rose, took the punishment for our sins. That's called into question. Then you run, all right? Pray for them, but that, John says, is the spirit of Antichrist. Not people that are struggling to learn, but that they are about undermining the truth. Point number two, anointing and knowledge. Anointing and knowledge. In contrast to these antichrists arising in the church and departing, leading people astray, John highlights two characteristics of true believers. Two characteristics of true believers. They have an anointing from the Holy One 
and they know all things. Anointing from the Holy One, they know all things. Let's break those down. First, what exactly does John mean by we have an anointing from the Holy One? In the Old Testament, things or people were consecrated, set apart to be holy, altogether separate, right? A person anointed by oil didn't receive anything magical by the oil physically touching him. Rather, it was an outward symbol of what God was doing on the inside. Oil we can perceive with our eyes representing the hand of God, which we cannot perceive. The anointing. Baptism is actually a good example of this, this idea here. Uh, we are going to have a baptism today, and as Credo Baptists, we are observing an, or- an ordinance of the church. We will perceive with our eyes something plain yet glorious. Simple, yet profound. A natural process representing a supernatural event. This is uh, one way we differ from most other Reformed denominations. As Reformed Baptists, our theological reformation didn't stop at Roman Catholic baptism. Our understanding of the New Testament baptism is an outward representation of what God has done on the inside. That which we can behold, representing that which we cannot see. So when John says that they've received an anointing, we're talking about something happening on the inside. But the reference to those who heard that would associate it with a physical anointing. So they're thinking about that that idea that something happens to them. But something is going on in the inside. So back to John's point. Christians have been anointed by God. Our triune God has done something invisible to our eyes that separates us from those who will be found in the church and are serving the plans of the evil one. What is this anointing? It is the very spirit of God that has come into a man and replaces a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. It's the anointing he's referring to. Regeneration. You have been Uh, affected you have been changed you have been born of God born from above um, as John writes in in his gospel right chapter 3 born of God born from above this is the anointing that we're talking about so in distinguishing from those uh, who serve the, the, the evil one contrasting Christians and saying there's two things here that separate them one is obvious they are born of God they are anointed by the holy one so, my dear brothers and sisters, do you, do you ever feel uh, defeated in your battle with sin? Do you ever feel defeated or down? You're running the race. Um, everything's good. All of a sudden, a sin that you thought you had put to death pops back up. Or maybe you look to other Christians you know or throughout history and think, I could never be that courageous. I could never be that godly of a husband i can't even build a shed Uh, i couldn't be that godly of a mother i I don't even break bake my own bread i could never be that single in the church that seems to be able to do everything all of the time i could never be that young adult i read about in the history and the history books that went into the missions field at 16 started an orphanage with seven dollars in a war-torn country 
then personally carried 150 babies on their back through the mountains, hundreds of miles to avoid rebel troops in the villages, all while baking homemade bread on a campfire every night, all by their 17th birthday. Oh, and along the way, they got married, had seven children, became a widow or widower, and still managed to translate the scriptures into the native dialect. You know what I'm talking about, right? That, that's not far from some of the stuff I read, right? So you ever feel like that? Right, you kind of, yeah, you laugh. It's good. Um, but you ever feel discouraged by that when you, when you look through history and see the accomplishment of other believers and think, I could never be that. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, you look at Christians throughout history like that, and you look at your own life and say, I can never seem to get through my Bible reading program. I started every January, and somewhere between Leviticus and Numbers, it just kind of fails Brothers and sisters, John here is reminding you that if you're born of God, you have been anointed by the Holy One, set aside for good works. You will stumble, but you will make it to the finish line by the very Spirit of God that dwells inside of you. So let this be the fuel in your tank that produces obedience. There's warnings here about false teachers, but there's great comforts in the very idea, just meditating on the fact that the perfect Son of God willfully went to the cross to take on your uh, sin debt, the wrath of God, so that you can live a life of liberty and, and not be yoked in the fallen thinking that your performance is what makes you right with your Creator. Of course we are to offer good works to our gracious Father as a thank you, as, as a loving response to His Word, but not as meritorious, God forbid. We offer them out of gratitude, the same way we'll be giving each other gifts here. Many of us um, in, in Christmas season we're coming into, right? We don't give... We don't give our children gifts. Children don't give us gifts, family members, so that we may be accepted. It's our love that produces that desire to give gifts. And so when you are discouraged, brethren, when you stumble, uh, remember the anointing that John is speaking of here. You are set aside for good works. You are set aside to be holy. And because the Lord has sworn by his name, it will happen. But back to the second thing that John mentions that separates Christians from those called antichrists. John states that we know all things. What does that mean? Christians are given discernment. Discernment. It is a gift. We get it at different levels. But all Christians are to be discerning and to practice and grow in discernment, a sort of built-in lie detector. We are guided in the truth, and I've heard it stated like this. We, we think of discernment um, as being able to tell the truth from lies, and that's not wrong. But Christian discernment is probably better defined like this, being able to tell the truth from almost the truth, Right? Things that look very close to the truth, but they're not. 
the world doesn't have a problem with Jesus Christ being a truth, a life, a way. They have a problem with Christ being the way, the truth, and the life. The exclusivity is where the rub is. But that's the very thing that God's Spirit makes known to all believers, right? We have an anointing from God and His discerning power dwelling within us, and we will not be led away from the Good Shepherd. Although at times our faith is weak, God will not lose a single one of us. My dear brothers and sisters, take great comfort in this reality. And when you see your your brother baptized today, remember your own baptism and praise the Lord for His promises over your life, rejoicing along with our brother and praising the Lord. He will finish the job. Third point is, who is a liar? Well, John continues uh, back where we started concerning the nature of Antichrist with a question and an answer. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is how we identify Antichrist. This is his definition. The one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Remember, uh, we're marching through the book. And uh, I think some of you watched the, the, the short video I sent out last night. I appreciate that. But it's, we're, we're disconnected by a month each time or two months as we're walking through this book. And so taking these little pericopes... Sometimes you can lose the continuity of what John is saying. And so, remember where we started, at least last time, right? What he was saying, what John was calling our attention to prior to what we looked at today. And this is the idea that Christians are to not love the world or the things of the world. Because the things of the world are death and they're passing away. But the one who's in Christ will abide forever. So John's telling his little ones, his dear ones this. And he jumps right into this. And he begins to confront the idea of apostasy and, and antichrist. And then he, he, con, he, he contrasts that with the Christians who are anointed and they're born of God and they, they have discernment. And then right after this last few verses we're looking at here, and he talks about um, how the one who denies Jesus being the Christ is a liar. The next section we'll take up is about truth. So understand where, where John is going. Understand what we're looking at and... and uh, the goal is to put it together that we get a full understanding of what the Lord would have us to see um, through the inspired writing of John here. We identify Antichrist or the spirit of Antichrist or the teaching of Antichrist by those who deny that Jesus himself is the Christ. So how many of you have heard uh, the idea, the lie, that all religions are basically the same? You guys heard that before? Be a good person. Follow the golden rule. Um, they'll never define what good is, right? But just kind of, you know, be nice is essentially what all religions um, teach in the eyes of the world. Uh, maybe that's an easy statement for you to refute. Recognize that's just so untrue. I can refute that easily. But how about this one? All of the great world religions... Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are all just 
monotheistic Abrahamic religions. You guys heard that one? They're all just worshiping the same God, right? Uh, the, the parable of the blind men, the elephant, you guys heard that before? There's three blind men and they're, they've come across an elephant and they've, they've never encountered an elephant in their whole life. And one, one guy is, uh, is, uh, is uh, a Muslim, a Christian, and, and a Jew. And they're, you know, the one guy has the trunk and he said an elephant, strong, and has a long appendage. Another guy has a tail. And he's like, no, an elephant's skinny. And another guy has a leg. And he says it's like a, a tree trunk. And the whole parable, the worldly parable is like, you know, they're all kind of right. They just have limited perspective. And, and I've seen this, this parable used in, in witness encounters, and I've seen Christians get stumbled by that one before. Because um, they fail to recognize that there's an assumption that there is, there is a truth. There's a definition of what an elephant is, and the person telling that parable has the perspective of the whole thing, right? We have a revelation from God about what truth is, who Christ is. So they're all... Um, the, 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 the lie is that they are all just divisions of the same beliefs separated by time and culture. You wouldn't deny our great Judeo-Christian American strength, would you? Uh, maybe we can let go of Islam, but I'm a Daily Wire Plus member, and I love those PragerU videos and Ben Shapiro's fighting the blue hair commies. We can be thankful, brothers and sisters, for those who... God has graciously allowed to have some uh, semblance of common sense in the midst of this clown world. However, when it comes down to it, uh, the Word of God says, uh, he, and this is a quote, He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. We, we can be grateful for those who aren't actively trying to trans the kids, but we must never lose sight of the fact that ultimately... They are just serving other satanic agendas. They need Christ because apart from that, uh, it would profit them nothing to gain the whole world if they, lost, if they lost their own soul. So, not to be misunderstood, very grateful for those who are um, laboring with their time and energy to resist this, uh, this godless, carnal, um, pressure, especially on young people, children. Grateful for that. But we, we have a higher category we're dealing with here. And this is the, this, the stark reality, to put, it, um, to put it plainly. Any of us, any of those people that we appreciate that are, that are um, not Christians, we appreciate them and, and what they do, but any of us, apart from Christ, any of them, if they were at the cross that day, and Barabbas was presented to them. And Jesus Christ was presented to them. And Pilate said, I can let one of them go. Anybody apart from Christ, no matter how conservative their politics, no matter what good family people they are, they would have cried out, give us Barabbas. Crucify Christ. So the reality of this We can appreciate their work. But to be clear, what John is saying here is anybody that denies that Jesus is the Christ is serving 
a satanic agenda. If you are here today and you have never bowed the knee to King Jesus, look to the apostles' words here in verse 23. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Hear the words of the psalmist in Psalm 2. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. While regarding the idea of all religions basically being the same, I remind you of uh, when I preached through 1 John 2, 7 through 11. Um, in my introduction, I had adapted a, a poem by uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse, and I'll close with it here, uh, changing the poem slightly uh, from, it was, If Satan Took Control of San Diego, and I'll change it to If an if at if the Antichrist took control of San Diego. Um, if the Antichrist took control of San Diego, all of the marijuana dispensaries would be closed. Pornography would no longer be acceptable on the internet. The homeless would be removed from the streets. The gas lamp district would close promptly at 8 p.m. Drag time story hour would be abolished from our libraries. Children would walk around with their heads up, saying, yes, sir, and no, ma'am. Their cell phones rarely leaving their pockets. And every Sunday would find the roadways empty as everyone would be at church where Christ alone would never be preached. Where Christ alone would never 